Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Cosmos, Cosmos Space-Time Odyssey, and Cosmos Possible Worlds. Cosmos Space-Time Odyssey Episode 8, titled Sisters of the Sun. Uh, Yet another excellent, excellent episode, all about stars and the night sky and its beauty and majesty. Uh, And what I particularly love about this episode is Carl Sagan did do a similar episode in his version on stars. He did do a similar episode. Uh, episode focusing on the night sky and suns and all that. But this version that Tyson does, it has a very healthy balance of retreading what Sagan did in the 80s and injecting new pieces of information, new stories in there. Because uh, there are giant segments of this episode that, yes, I will be skipping over because, yes, we did already talk about the science in those moments. I'll just offer brief mentions of them. But there's also a lot of new things in there. There's also a lot of new bits in there that Carl Sagan didn't touch upon, whether uh, he didn't think it flowed or uh, the science just wasn't up to date at that point. Like, who knows? But... There's a balance of the two. There's a balance of retreading Sagan and forging own path in this episode that I think is very much indicative of what is great about the entire series in relation to its predecessor. So this episode starts, and immediately Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, does this whole bit about how much city lights just absolutely suck because they completely block starlight, and we now can't look up and see the night sky and all of its beauty the way we used to. And it's kind of like removing that connection that humanity has to the stars. Uh, It's actually very sad. It is a really, really sad opening. Uh, And then we go through, and we start in a similar spot to how Sagan started in his Stars episode, talking about how we see the stars, how we use them over the generations, uh, how they were perceived over uh, the course of human evolution, 
uh, how they were used by many primitive cultures to sort of, as a means of survival, to sort of tell them, like, okay, we go here now, we do this now. Uh, There's a foretelling of something weird happening on Earth, yada, 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 yada. Uh, Constellations and all of that. But Tyson offers an interesting new angle that, as far as I remember, Sagan didn't cover, where we zero in on the Pleiades. Uh, this cluster of really, really bright stars that's just always sort of there. And we talk about how uh, certain cultures assign significance to them. Uh, we talk about how they sort of inspired the holiday of Halloween. Like, when they were at a certain point in the night sky, the dead would walk. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> now Katara's gonna blow up the factory because I made those noises. <laughs> that is a deep cut. That is a deep cut on Avatar The Last Airbender. You have to have watched a very specific episode of Avatar The Last Airbender to get that reference. And if you get that reference, I applaud you. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I just waved my arms around and made funny noises. <laughs> uh, when we talk about that, uh, there's a couple of really good animated segments where they bring to life the stories certain cultures... Uh, certain story... That's all, folks. Stories that certain cultures, legends that certain cultures built around how the Pleiades were created. Uh, this one, I can't remember the name of it, but I believe it was some, like, Native American tribe that had a specific legend about, uh, some women running away from bears and a rock just lifted them up into the sky. Uh, the Greeks and, uh, Orion going after the daughters of, damn, what was it, Atlas? I can't remember. Uh... I should have written these down in greater detail, is what I'm learning. Uh, but he brings these stories to life in really, really great ways. And you sort of see, you get like a, a a sort of different vantage point on this view of how humanity's relationships to the stars and how we've seen the stars has sort of evolved over the course of generations. And then we have the story that is told of... Two, or actually, no, three female scientists in the early 20th century who completely changed our understanding of stars. And by the way, I love this moment where Neil deGrasse Tyson just stops his story, talks about how important these women are, and then says, for some reason... You've probably never heard of them. Wonder why. And then he just gives... He never flat out says it, but he looks at the camera in a way where it's just like, if this was a meme spread on the internet, the caption would be in asterisks, stares in feminism. (laughs) Like, he makes it crystal clear. We don't talk about them because they're women. Society forgot about them because they're women. If they were men, their 
contributions would be celebrated to this day and everyone would know their names, but they're women, so we don't know their names. Uh, or we don't talk about their names. We don't say their names often enough. Because uh, misogyny. Like, he makes it very clear without actually explicitly stating it. And I do really, really like that moment. Uh, but we have, like, canon. Uh, categorizing all these different stars into various categories and various subcategories on those categories. Uh, and laying all that research, getting all this spectrograph data. And then Cecilia Payne coming in and by the way they very much this segment very much focuses on Cecilia Payne uh Cannon and the other woman whose name I totally forget uh they're kind of background characters in Cecilia Payne's story she is very much the driving force of this narrative and rightfully so uh but they talk about her initially being inspired by science uh immigrating to America because she couldn't become a scientist in England. England at that time was incredibly, incredibly restrictive uh, and didn't allow women to pursue advanced careers in science. So she immigrated to America, went to Harvard, became part of this collective of female computers uh, under Canon and uh, worked with Canon and this other woman and uh, these other uh, women to, like, sort of do this work, do this calculates calculations, uh, understand the stars more. And then she made the discovery that the stars were not made of Earth-like elements. They were not made of the elements that Earth itself is made out of, like science traditionally understood at that time. She realized that the stars were made of primarily hydrogen and of helium. And so we get the journey from making that discovery to doing all the research to writing her thesis to uh, submitting it. The dean uh, saying, clearly you're wrong. Clearly you're wrong. This is bullshit. You're wrong. And then Payne sort of caving and writing another, uh, like just one sentence in there to sort of discredit the biggest parts of her discovery and then a few years later, the dean was just like, oh shit, I was wrong. And to his credit, immediately said, yeah, this was this girl's discovery. I'm an idiot. I rejected it. I didn't think it was correct. I was wrong. Oopsie. And now, like, her thesis became, like, a huge, like, primary text in her field. And it was just, like, sort of this... Like, little message of, like, hey, if you're confident in your data, don't cave to pressure. Like, if you're confident in your scientific data, like, the only thing that matters in the end is evidence and a good argument. And, like, you sort of see, like, the biggest regret of her career was adding that extra sentence and sort of undermining her own study initially. Uh, but that segment is great. It is very, very compelling. It is very well handled. It is very well written. And then we go into the sky to do a segment on the life cycles of stars and the various ways in which they die, uh, the various ways, uh, the various types of stars, the, uh, our sun that I can't remember 
the name of uh, Red Supergiant, uh, the White Dwarfs, and all the other ones, Black Holes, uh, Novas, Supernovas, and all of that. And I'm fast-forwarding through all of this because we already talked about the science on this almost entirely in Sagan's version. Like, a lot of this is sort of rehashing of what Sagan did in his original miniseries. Uh, so for the sake of the discussion, I'm going to fast-forward through all this. Uh, I'll just say, as I've said so many times before, Space-Time Odyssey is Cosmos, but better. Much like Blue Planet 2 was Blue Planet, but better. Uh, so Neil deGrasse Tyson hits upon all the same points that Sagan did, but with un- updated information and much, 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 much sharper visuals. Uh, so overall, it is a bit more engaging than Sagan's was, but at its core, the information is basically the same. So, like I said, skip past this for the sake of discussion. And then we go into view of the night sky in the Australian out- outback. Uh, we sort of see the backbone of night, like the spirals of the Milky Way from our vantage point, the dark patches of dust blocking starlight. Uh, We talk about how the aboriginal people of Australia uh, were drawing patterns, not just in the stars, but in the space between them, in the darkness between the stars, which is fascinating. Uh, There's one patch of dark skies that they saw an emu in. Like, it's just like, That's cool. And then, boy, (laughs) boy, oh boy, oh boy. Then we get to my personal favorite part of the episode, where we talk about Anacarina, a gigantic, gigantic freaking star that is like, I think it was like a hundred times bigger than the sun. Like, it was, it's huge. Uh, It flickered on in such a big way, like, uh, centuries ago. Like, became the second brightest star in the sky temporarily, and it's been flickering ever since. Uh, There's like a dumbbell cloud surrounding it from that event. And it's so big that eventually, when it explodes, and perhaps it's exploded already, it's a certain amount of light years away. I, I think it was like 750 or something. Or 7,500. Who knows? Um, yeah, I think it was 7,500. Never mind. Who knows? I knows, maybes. Uh, <laughs> when it explodes, it will become not a Nova. Not a supernova. Not even a black hole. It'll become a goddamn hypernova. It will explode with such force and so bright that it will make a supernova look like a firecracker by comparison. Any nearby solar systems, any nearby star systems, decimated immediately. Uh, Even hundreds of light years away. Uh, this is why I initially remembered, oh yeah, it was 7,500, not 750. Uh, oops. (laughs) This would change our fate significantly. Hundreds of light years away, quite possibly, the amount of x-rays will, like, 
completely strip planets of their atmospheres and life on them will just die immediately. Uh, and even this far out, even as far out as Earth, we'll still be fine. We won't, like, burn to a crisp or anything. But for a period of time, there will be a bright patch of sky in the southern hemisphere that looks a hell of a lot like a second moon. And this could happen in our lifetimes. This could happen in our freaking lifetimes. In fact, I wonder, it's been years. I don't think it has exploded. Or, <laughs> I don't think we have seen the explosion. At a Carina Hypernova. Let's see. What's the status? Found again. There's a hard line. The star that will not die. Interesting. Uh, so, Eta Carina is just like this star that just refuses, refuses to die. It's just so gigantic, so massive, and yet. And yet, it's going to, it's going to eventually become a hypernova. I'm just reading Wikipedia at this point. I'm just reading it. This is fascinating shit. It really, really is. Anyway, it is not, it, it has not happened yet. <laughs> it has not happened yet. It will eventually become a hypernova. And it'll be big, and it'll be massive, and the Southern Hemisphere is going to uh, basically get a second moon in terms of brightness. Man, now I kind of want to, kind of want to just like move to Australia on the off chance that the hypernova happens in my lifetime. Just so like maybe, just maybe I can see it. Just maybe I can see the hypernova. That, that's, that's cool. That is, I love that bit. That was, that was my favorite bit of the episode. It's so freaking cool. You watch it and you're just like in complete awe. Like, holy crap, this is a thing. This is gonna happen. It maybe has already exploded. We don't, we won't know until we see the light from it. And then we get the ending of just like somewhere in the cosmos. Uh, someone's getting treated to a galaxy rise. Sagan did that before. Again, uh, retreading. Those bits, while also adding some new information and heightened visuals. This is Cosmos, but better. Yada, 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 yada. This is a real good episode. This is a real, real good episode. Man, we're close to the end. We only have five episodes left in Space Time Odyssey. And then we move on to Possible Worlds. And uh, that'll be all fun and lovely. That'll be uh, just a delightful, delightful thing. Get ready for that. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as we go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just push up a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468. 
and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything you get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, tomorrow we will be discussing Cosmos of Space-Time Odyssey Episode 9. Talk to you then.